sing those songs, those patriotic songs, isn't interesting to see back then the connection between patriotism, love for country, and this understanding that liberty and freedom is derived from, comes from God. Did you notice that connection? Uh, that that's how those songs were written. That was the understanding. That was the belief uh, in, in the founding of our country. And uh, certainly we could use a little bit more of that understanding today, a reminder that that freedom that we experience and enjoy in this country comes from, it is derived from God Almighty. So there's your uh, 4th of July message. You're welcome. Uh, I do have just a couple quick announcements, uh, a couple updates. One of them uh, are tied to, two of them are tied together. There's no game night this Tuesday. I know that was in the announcement package, no game night. The reason for that is some of the folks that lead that, that are connected to game night, are going over to the camp to help out in the kitchen. And so that is then tied to this announcement. If you're willing and able to go help out in the kitchen this week, you can either talk to Naomi, put your hand up real quick, that's Naomi back there, or you can talk to my wife, Angie. Uh, either one of those ladies can get you more information about the when and the where and all of that. Uh, so thanks in advance. Also, just wanted to give you a quick update. We'll try to keep you updated on what we know when we know it. We have not yet, obviously, gotten permission to clean up the mess. We're still waiting on the insurance companies to do whatever it is that they need to do uh, before we have permission to get that cleaned up and move, uh, move on. Here's what I'm asking you to pray about. I'm asking you, number one, to pray that as they figure all that out, whatever failed, that we get it fixed. And uh, pray for continued safety. We praise God for safety uh, thus far. Uh, there are other stories uh, of God's uh, sovereign grace uh, that uh, someday we'll, we'll share a lot of these kind of stories when we celebrate with all the things that God's done behind the scenes. But for today, just keep praying, praying for safety and uh, pray that we get that all resolved as quickly as possible so we can keep moving on. They are moving on to other projects. Uh, I think the... This room back here, they're going to start working on the elevator lift. There's other things, lots of other things to be working on until they resolve that. Uh, but just pray that that gets resolved quickly. And when you think about it, pray for materials. That's something that continues to be an issue, that we'll be able to get the materials that we need to keep the project moving. So thank you for your, uh, your prayers. Thank you for your encouragement as we kind of work through some difficult uh, challenges. Not the first challenge that we've had, uh, certainly probably won't be the last, but we're thankful for God's faithfulness. I am really excited about this series that we're starting. It's a four-week series, and the title, you probably got notes when you came in, look at the title. The title of the series is It's All in Your Head. I don't know if anyone has ever said that to you, I can remember hearing that phrase a lot when I was growing up. Mark, it's all in your head. I am, was uh, a lot more when I was a kid. I am still afraid of heights. Now, when I was a kid, when I say I was afraid of heights, I mean that it was a paralyzing fear for me. And I can remember my dad wanting to help me with that fear and wanting to help me overcome it. And one of the things that he did when I, I was in my teenage years, uh, one of the things he decided to do to help me overcome, face my fear of heights. We had one of these exterior lights that was on the side of our house, second story, and he got the ladder, put it up there, and he wanted me to change the light bulb. Now, for someone who is afraid of heights, if you are one of those people uh, just saying that, you're like, there's no way I would be able to do that. And that's how I felt about it. I got about halfway up the ladder and I froze. I couldn't go up. I couldn't go down. And it was something that should have taken about five minutes to go up and do. Uh, this was probably, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour long thing until I was able to uh, eventually work my way up the ladder, got the my fingers pried off of the bar long enough to be able to unscrew the light, all of that, right? And, uh, and from there, it got a little bit better, a little bit better, till now, as an adult, uh, I would say that I uh, have a functioning, healthy fear of heights to the point where I can get up most ladders, I can get on top of uh, some roofs if I have to, uh, I'm at the stage in life now where I have a little bit more disposable income than when I first got married. Uh, so if I can pay someone to go on a roof, I'm going to pay someone to go on a roof. Uh, 
but uh, I, can, I can ride a roller coaster with my kids. I don't necessarily enjoy it, but I, I want to spend those moments with them. So I can do those things. I would call myself a functioning, uh, healthier fear of heights today. But I can look back now, and I understand that phrase a little bit better now. When I look back in this phrase, it's all in your head. I think what my dad meant by that was it's not the ladder. The ladder itself is not what is holding me back. What was holding me back was this, these fearful thoughts that held me captive. That's what he meant by that. Fearful thoughts holding me back, paralyzing me from action. Maybe you aren't afraid of heights and you know, to hear me talk about that, you're like, you're a sissy. That's fine, you can call me a sissy. I don't... Maybe there are other things, though, that hold you captive. Maybe there are thoughts that limit you. Maybe there are different thoughts that hold you back, like this thought that I'm never going to be good enough. Why even try? I'll, I'll never meet the expectation. I might as well just give up. Or maybe you're struggling with something and you have come to this conclusion, this thought has taken your heart captive. I'll never be able to change. I don't like who I am. I don't like that this sin keeps recurring in my life, but I just can't seem to have victory over it. I'm never going to change. Or maybe you've been hurt and you've been wounded so many times in life that there is this thought planted in your mind that has taken your heart captive. And the thought is this, I'll never find love again. I will never truly have joy in my life again. I lost this person in my life. I didn't, I didn't ask for this. I will never find joy in my life again. I will never find satisfaction. I will never find contentment. What we're going to discover in this series is that those kinds of thoughts, they're really spiritual battles. When we break them down at the core, they are really spiritual battles. And here's the good news. We're going to find out that those spiritual battles can be won. We can have victory in those spiritual battles. Your mind might be wired right now in a certain way. And that wiring has resulted in worry. It has resulted in fear. It has resulted in doubt or discontent. Maybe it has resulted in anger. Maybe it has resulted in self-centeredness where everything is about you. But here's what we're going to learn in this series. Through the power of Jesus Christ, those thoughts can be rewired in the sense that your life can be changed. You don't have to stay in that, that thought pattern. You don't have to remain captive to those thoughts. I want you to think about that phrase, it's all in your head. What if that's a good thing? Think about it. What if the phrase, it's all in your head, is a good thing? What if a change in our thinking could result in a change in our everyday lives? That'd be pretty helpful. So let's go to the Word of God this morning, and let's see what God has to say about these wars that we sometimes fight in our minds. I'm going to invite you to join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. While you are finding that, you know, maybe you have the digital notes, maybe you are using your own Bible, the Bible that's there for you in the pew, but while you're finding that, I want you to imagine, and for some of you this is going to be complete imagination because you just don't do this, but I want you to imagine that you are scrolling through social media in your phone. I don't, I don't do that, but a lot of people do. But let's imagine that you're doing that. You're, you're scrolling through social media, and you see a post that someone wrote, and it's about you, and it's not nice. It's not kind. In fact, it really hurt your feelings. How about this one? Let's imagine that uh, sometime this week, a friend of yours pulls you aside, Say, hey, I, can I talk to you for a second? I don't know if I should say anything or not, but I, I would want to know. I, I just want to share this with you. I was, 
I was at the pool this week, and I overheard Festus talking about you behind your back, and he, and, and he was trashing you. Festus said, you're a big hypocrite. Festus said, you wouldn't know the difference between a strawberry and a Brussels sprout. That's what Festus said about you. That would probably hurt. Here's the thing about those moments in life, and I'm sure they've happened to all of us in different forms perhaps, but just because someone says something unkind about you doesn't make it true, right? And we can know that. We can process that. Just because someone has a negative opinion of you doesn't mean you're defined by their negative opinion. And we can know that and understand that and mentally process that. But here's the thing. In that moment when you're scrolling through and you read that, or when you hear that someone has said something unkind, or maybe they just say it right off and blast it in your face, in those moments, there's a battle that happens in your mind. There's a battle that takes place. And what we're going to see this morning is that battle is not just a mental battle about what you're going to do with those things that are said and those thoughts that you have bouncing around in your mind. It's not just a mental battle taking place. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, this is is a fascinating chapter because he starts out in verse 1, identifying himself. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, Now I, Paul appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. Don't gloss over those two words. He says, what I'm about to say to you, I want to say with gentleness. I want to say it with the kindness of Jesus Christ. Though I realize you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. Someone said something about Paul, and it wasn't kind. Go to verse 10. He brings this up again. He says in verse 10, Some say Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he's weak, and his speeches are worthless. Well, that's not very nice at all, is it? There were apparently people in Corinth saying some unkind things about Paul, and it got back to Paul. Hey, Paul, just so you know, this is what people are saying. There's some people that are saying that your, your letter, you're like a big tough guy in your letters. You like to make people feel bad in your letters, but when you are here in person, you're a coward. You're a terrible public speaker. That's not very nice at all. The thing about these two verses is that Paul's already confronted them about something like this in his first letter. In his first letter, Paul addresses some of these folks where they they had this problem with uh, like this celebrity worship mentality that they had towards some leaders. There were people that were saying things like, listen, Apollos and Peter... They, uh, they are these amazing communicators, therefore their ministry is better than Paul's ministry, because Paul's terrible at public speaking. And so I, you know, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, because they're really good at public speaking. Eh, well, why would you follow Paul? And he already addressed that in the first letter, but apparently these unkind words haven't gone away. And you think about it, if that was you... That could really affect a person, right? That could really affect a person in a negative way. Paul could have taken these things that people were saying about him, and he could have come to the conclusion, you know what? Maybe I am terrible. Maybe I am in the wrong business. Maybe I really should give up and let these people that are better at this than I am, just let them do it. Now, keep in mind, Paul wrote most of the New Testament Right? Remember who we're talking about here. He wrote most of the New Testament, probably one of the greatest missionaries that ever walked the planet. And we can look back now and see that about him. But what if these words that were said about Paul would have 
reached him and he said, you know what? I don't need this. You guys know so much. How about you figure it out? I'm out. Look how Paul handles these negative things being said about him. If you go back to verse 1 in chapter 10, first he starts off by saying, listen, I want to say this with gentleness. I want to say this with the kindness of Christ. So he's not coming at them with anger. He's not coming at them uh, you know, with this full-throated uh, bitterness or anything like that. Kindness and gentleness. And he says in verse 3, we are human. But we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Keep all this in the context of he's defending his ministry. He's saying, I know you guys have said these things about me. And he's looking at this as a spiritual battle, not just a battle in the mind, not just a mental uh, way of processing through a criticism. It's a spiritual battle. That's how he sees it. And he says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. He recognizes he's fighting this spiritual battle. And he also recognizes that Christ has the power to destroy, to tear down strongholds. That's not a word that we use very often. A stronghold is a fortified prison. In our world, we would say a supermax prison. Stronghold is a fortified prison. And if you are in a stronghold, you are a prisoner. Make sense? what he's describing here. And it's not a physical stronghold. It's not a physical prison that he's talking about. He's talking about these spiritual battles that you and I fight, and sometimes we lose. Sometimes we fight these spiritual battles, and we lose, and we are captured by these thoughts. We're captured by fear. We're captured by worry. We're captured by a a lie. We're captured by negative thoughts. We are captured by doubt. We are captured by hurt. Maybe even captured by sin. Sometimes we fight these spiritual battles and we lose. And we find ourselves in a stronghold held captive by these types of things. If you found yourself in a Liam Neeson movie and you were taken, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you know these movies. Taken captive, locked up in a terrible prison overseas somewhere. What would you need to have happen? Well, I'm not Liam Neeson, right? I'm not Rambo. I'm not that tough. I'm going to need a I'm going to need a hero to come. You're going to need a hero to come and rescue you. Now, that's in the movies. But in real life, when that happens, when there are hostages, when there are people who are taken, uh, who do we depend on? Well, we depend on people like the Navy SEALs, don't we? We depend on people who are professional at being able to handle these situations. We need a hero. We need a rescuer to come and do for us what we can't do for ourselves. What do we do then when we are held prisoner, when we are held captive in a stronghold in our mind? If it's a physical prison, a physical capture, then we need the physical hero. But what do we do in our minds? Well, we still need a hero. We still need a rescuer, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, it says here, is able to demolish. He's able to crush. He's able to vanquish. He's able to destroy strongholds. I love this phrase that Jesus can destroy arguments and pretensions that are against the knowledge of God. 
In other words, anything that is not of God, anything that is not in line with the word of God can be defeated by the power of Christ. When you and I choose to cooperate with Jesus, when we choose to trust him to fight for us, to deliver us, to set us free from strongholds, we can, as it's written here, take every captive, every thought captive, and we can make it obedient to Christ. Think about that. You know, that's like turning the tables on a thought that held us captive in a stronghold. This is saying not only can you break free from that stronghold that's holding you in captivity in your mind, you can actually force that thought to be obedient to Christ. It would be like uh, being held hostage. You're, you're on an airplane and the, the terrorists have taken over the airplane and then you and a group of other passengers, you overpower the terrorists and you force them to be compliant to you. That's a pretty powerful thought, isn't it? And that's what's being described here. Through the power of Christ, we can, we can have freedom from these strongholds in our mind. I want to get really practical with you about this this morning. I'm going to push you a little bit to, uh, to be uncomfortable for a reason. Okay? I, uh, I gave you this morning some paper notes. I heard people enjoy the paper notes, so hopefully they are helpful to you. We also have the same thing on the digital notes. If you go to gracefellowship.online, go to Lemersville, scroll down, you'll see a big green button that says notes, and you can find the digital version of this there. But we're going to do what I'm going to call a thought evaluation, a thought evaluation this morning. You're going to rate yourself. Now, here's the thing about the thought evaluation. We're not handing them in. I'm not going to come around and check them. You don't have to hand them to your neighbor. Remember when in school, whenever you, uh, you had to do a quiz and then you had to switch with your, the kid next to you and then they like, got 100 and you got like two right? That was never fun, right? Uh, I always wanted to sit next to that kid that would, uh, would change the No, I, that never happened for me. It was always the one that enjoyed wrong, wrong, wrong. That was the kid I always sat next to. We're not going to do that this morning. So I just want you to be as honest as you can as you work through the thought evaluation. Rate your scale self on a scale of 1 to 10. Here's how it works. The thoughts that you have uh, typically run from one side of this scale to the other. Normally, for you, where are you when it comes to being worried or being peaceful in your thoughts? Are you closer to the worried side, the, the one? Are you closer to that side where your thoughts are constantly worried about something? You're always worried about your kids. You're always worried about your future. You're always worried about money. You're, you're constantly worried about your health. What, what if today's the day that I get this or that? Maybe you're constantly worried about the state of politics in our country and it consumes you. Are you at that end, or are you closer to the other end of that scale, the peaceful end, where, where you just have peace? You are fully confident in the sovereignty of God, and you just trust Him. Yeah, these things are, are not ideal. These things are not super fun to go through, but I, I look at it and I say, Lord, I trust you. I don't understand it. I don't like it that much, but I trust you. I have peace that you are at work to Work this out for my good. Where are you? How about this? Negative thoughts, positive thoughts. Where would you rate yourself? Are your thoughts constantly negative, like all day? First thought in your mind is critical. First thought, something happens, first thought is worst case scenario. Your thoughts, are they, are they fault-finding? Are your thoughts discontent? Are you kind of just like an old grump in your thinking? Nothing's ever good enough. 
It's all, the shoe's about to drop. Give it time. It'll fall apart, right? It's, is that where you're at? Negative thinking all day long. Or are you closer to the other side of that? Positive thoughts. Yeah, you've got the same stuff going on in your life as everybody else has in their life, but your thoughts are more defined by joy. Your thoughts are more defined by contentment and this healthy satisfaction that you find in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can say, yeah, this is not ideal. This is not super fun. But I know that God's got me. I trust him in this. Therefore, I have peace. Therefore, I am content in whatever it is that God's doing in this situation. That's positive thinking. How about worldly versus eternal? Where do you fall on that scale? Are your thoughts all about yourself? Like, is everything about you? How about is everything about the now? Like, there's no thought uh, of eternity. There's no thought uh, in your day about how does this impact the kingdom of God. It's all about what's happening right now. This is all that matters to me, the here and the now. And that's what consumes your thoughts. How about material stuff, pleasure, sin? When you talk about the things of the world, you think about the things that the world offers us to be thinking about, to be consumed. You just need more stuff. You'll be happy if you have more stuff. If you just had this pleasure in your life, it will make you feel better about yourself. Maybe it's just a, a sinful, unhealthy thought that you just can't seem to escape. Worldly thoughts, is that where you are most of the day, or is it? closer to the eternal side, where you're thinking throughout the day about Jesus, His kingdom, you're thinking about eternity, and, and everything that is going on in your life, the way you see yourself, the way you see others, you are seeing it through the lens of eternity, the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't evaluate that for you. I'm asking you to evaluate your thoughts, be honest about it. And then as you look at wherever you rate yourself, hopefully it reveals something to you about where some change needs to happen. As you evaluate your thought life, here's what I'm going to ask you to do next. I'm going to ask you to look at it. And then I want you to try to identify this one stronghold. Maybe there are multiple, but which one is the strongest? Which, which stronghold has the, the strongest grip over your thoughts? And write it down, define it, name it. Maybe it's fear, maybe it is worry, maybe it's negative thinking, maybe it's worldly thinking, maybe it's sinful thinking, name it, define it, write it down. Here's why this is important. It's important to be able to identify the stronghold because the more you and I give in to the negative, fearful, worried, critical thoughts, the more we let them run rampant in our minds, the more worn down that path becomes in our minds. Thoughts are like lazy people. Thoughts are like water. They will always travel the path of least resistance. Unless they are intentionally redirected somewhere else, they will find the path of least resistance, and that's the path they'll take. Our thoughts will take the path most traveled. The more you travel down the pathway of negative thinking, the easier it is for that next thought to just follow the same path, follow the same path. You establish a pattern of thinking, of worry, of fear, of negative criticism. And if that's you, if you're like, yeah, that, that's, I look at this stronghold and it's like first thought, worst case scenario. It's like it's wired that way. Yeah, I've been beating down this path of worry and fear and negativity for so long. It's like the first thought and then the first 10 thoughts, that's where they go. Okay, what do we do to fix that? 
How do we fix it? How do we rewire the mind? How do we stamp down a new path that's going to lead to something a lot better than that? How do we stamp down a new path that's going to lead to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? How do we stamp down a new path that's going to lead to contentment and satisfaction and hope? Wouldn't that be a better place to live life? You can hold your fingers in 2 Corinthians. I want you to check out Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, I think, gives us a little bit of insight into how we fix this. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. By changing the way that you think. You might have it written in a different version. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're not talking about the psychology of rewiring the brain. That's not where I'm taking this this morning, because these are spiritual battles. We're talking about winning these spiritual battles that renew the mind, not rewire the brain that renew the mind, that cause us to think differently about ourselves, that cause us to think differently about others, that cause us to think differently about our circumstances, that help us think differently about our past, our present, and our future. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't keep traveling down the wrong path. Because you're creating it. When you keep traveling down the wrong path, you are creating a path of least resistance for those thoughts. You're making it easier for the negative and fearful and worried and critical thoughts to take your heart captive and hold you back. We're not going to keep traveling down the same path. Instead, we're going to identify that stronghold. We're going to name it. That's been Whatever it is that's been holding your mind and your heart captive, maybe it's that lie that says, I'm not worth loving. Maybe it's the lie that says, you know what, this this struggle, it's not worth it. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Maybe it's the lie that says, I'm I'm not good enough. I don't deserve anything good. The lie that says, I'm always going to be a failure anyway. I'm never going to have a meaningful relationship in my life. I'm too old to do anything that matters anymore. What that person said about me is probably true. I think I'm just going to give up. We identify the stronghold, and we're going to let Christ have victory over it. We're going to identify the truth that destroys the stronghold. We're going to start asking questions like, well, wait a minute, what does God say about me? What does God say about my situation? What does God say about these other people in my life? What does God say about my failures and my shortcomings? Well, the Word of God says I'm created in the image of God and that He loves me unconditionally. You might not, but God does. God's Word says that there's no temptation that is more powerful than Christ. I don't don't have to be held captive by this sin for one more second because greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. God's word says that when I'm weak, that's when the strength of Jesus is on display. God's word tells me that this corrupt, sin-broken world is not forever, that I've got an amazing, perfect future ahead of me. And all of this is temporary. 
God's word says, this one's on the screen for you, God's word says that his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. We look to the word of God. We look to the power of Jesus Christ to destroy these strongholds. Here's the stronghold. Now, what's the truth from God's word that destroys it? that tears it down, and through the power of Christ, through the power of His Holy Spirit, these thoughts don't have to hold us captive. You know, I think sometimes we forget the power of the gospel for our everyday lives. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you understand the power of the gospel to save your soul from sin and from hell, right? You understand the gospel teaches us that we could not make ourselves right with God on our own. The gospel teaches us that we could not overpower sin on our own. We needed a hero. We needed a rescuer. This is why Jesus came. It's why he died on the cross. And the power of his resurrection proves his victory over sin and death. And so we, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, we understand the power of the gospel for our salvation, but sometimes we forget the power of the gospel for our everyday lives. Because the gospel also teaches us that we cannot win spiritual battles against sin, against the enemy on our own. We need a rescuer. We need a hero. We need this divine power that God is offering us through his Holy Spirit. We need the resurrection power of Jesus, not just for salvation, but to live everyday life in victory. To win these spiritual battles that are waging war in our minds and in our hearts every day. If you are far from God this morning, maybe you're sitting in this room, maybe you're on the other side of that camera, but if you, are, if you see yourself and you understand that you are far from God this morning, here's what you really have available to you to fight these battles. All you really have available is the power of positive thinking. Right? Think it and you can be it or whatever. You have the power of positive thinking at your disposal. And I suppose there are times when that can be helpful, but here's when it breaks down. It breaks down when things don't get better. The power of positive thinking eventually wears out its positivity when over the long term things don't get easier, when things don't get better. Positive thinking tends to break down. Now you step into a relationship with Jesus Christ, now things are different because now you see circumstances differently. You have an eternal perspective. You have access to joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction as you're walking through the long-term trial. Not because you're strong, not because you're smarter than everybody else, you're tougher than everybody else. No, because Jesus allows us to rely on His strength and His power to walk us through those things. So that's one thing that you have available to you. I don't think it's that great of a tool. The other thing is you would have behavior modification. Right? That's the other thing. If you're far from God, when it comes to these battles in the mind, you've got behavior modification, modern-day psychology, which you know it could help you learn how to climb a ladder. It could help you maybe get on a roller coaster. Eh, there's some value in that. But here's the thing, it doesn't do much for the problems of the soul. It's not going to help you with the, the deeper issues in life like contentment, like peace, like joy, like understanding that there is purpose in this life, God-given purpose. Behavior modification is not going to help you with that. You need, as is written in that verse, you need divine power to fight spiritual battles, and that divine power can only be found in a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Believing in His death on the cross as your sin debt, His blood paid your sin debt that you and I owe to God. Believing that His resurrection from the dead proves His victory over sin, proves His victory over death, and proves that he has the power over any stronghold in your life. My 
think about what we're reading this morning, it, it, it tells me that Jesus can do something better than rewire my brain. Jesus can renew my mind. And in renewing my mind, transforming my life takes place. That's what's being promised in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Transformation of life connected to the renewing of our minds, the way that we think. Here's another honest question. You don't have to whisper the answer to your neighbor. But where do your thoughts typically go when you're lonely? Where do your thoughts typically go? Like what's the first immediate thought when you're angry? Where do your thoughts typically flow whenever you're bored? Whenever you're stressed, what are the thoughts that come into your mind? And where do they lead you? Is your first thought to look at pornography? Is your first thought to uh, eat a, a whole bag of Doritos and chase it down with a pint of ice cream? Because that'll help. About as much as reaching for the bottle of alcohol is going to help. Is your first thought to, to scroll through social media? Maybe you're going to find something in there that will make you feel better about yourself. Look at this goofball. Yeah, I'm not that great, but look at this turkey. Or you post something and then you're like, oh, man, look at all these people that liked my post. I must matter. Maybe you need to start cutting down a different pathway for your thoughts to run on. How do we do that? We understand where the power comes from, but how do we get ourselves into a position where we start to make some changes in our life so that we can connect to this power of Jesus Christ, the power of His Holy Spirit, so that we allow Him to take hold of these thoughts and make them obedient to Him? How, how do we put ourselves in that position? For these changes to take place. So we already talked about the gospel. That's obviously foremost and of greatest priority. You have to have a relationship with Jesus, a faith relationship with him. But here's what we can do on the other side of that, because you know, that's not the end of our faith journey until we get to heaven. One of the things I would recommend is you know, find a way to pray more. Maybe, maybe you need to start taking a walk. Maybe you need to find, you know, it's sunny out. Maybe you need to find a quiet place. Uh, I don't know if you have a porch. I don't know if you have a park nearby. Just find a place where you can just be alone and it's quiet and pray. Just pray. How about this? Commit yourself. Make a commitment to start reading the Bible in equal amounts of time that you use to watch TV, or to binge Netflix, or to scroll through your phone. Now, you understand, maybe you don't, I don't know, uh, but they keep track of that stuff on your phone. Like, you can look on your phone. Oh, mine's right here. It actually pops up on Sundays. Let me just tell you what mine says here. Screen time. Uh, oh, yeah. I was down 86% from last week. I don't know what that means. But it tells you that, right? It tells you how much time you spent on your phone. And it tells you where you're spending that time. Like, you can figure that stuff out. All right, so I'm not saying throw your phone in the lake. I'm just saying, okay, you spent X amount of time on your phone. You binged, like, four seasons of whatever. Figure that out. Okay, could I spend that amount of time reading the Word? How about half? Like, if you just spent 12 hours on Netflix, could you spend six in God's Word? Imagine if you spent six hours in God's Word this week. Do you think that would make a big impact in your life? Probably a bigger impact than 12 hours of Netflix would. How about this? How about choosing to spend a little more time with people 
who want to live a Jesus-centered life. Like, I don't know who you're hanging out with. I don't know who you're spending the bulk of your time with. But if you're hanging out with and you're spending a lot of time with people who are negative, people that have no interest in serving the Lord, people that, uh, you know, some of that you can't control, right? You might work with a real toad, and you, that's, that's, you, you have to work with them, right? You, that's life. But it may be that you are choosing to spend time with people that are just always negative about everything. You think that's not going to affect you? What if you spent more time with people that love Jesus? What if you spent more time with some people that, that want to carve down, stamp down a path towards serving the Lord, towards peace and love and joy and grace? That's what they want for their lives. That's what they want for their families. You think, it's, you think that's going to affect you? I think it would impact you in a real positive way. The more time that we spend in the Word of God, the more time we spend in conversation with Jesus, the more time that we spend in real relationship with Jesus-centered Christians, the more that we are going to travel a pathway that leads to truth. And here's the thing about truth. Truth, you, I'm sure you've heard this, even if you have never read the Bible before, which is where this comes from, you probably have heard the phrase, truth will set you free, right? Movies quote that. They have no clue where it comes from. It comes from the Bible. Jesus says this. Truth will set you free, yes, but truth will also keep you from getting captured in the first place. Because when we live by the truth and we're in these spiritual battles and we rely on the truth, we're able to say, you know what, that's a lie from the enemy. And I reject it. I'm not going to let that take my mind and my heart captive through the power of Jesus Christ who says that I am this, who says that this situation is in the sovereign power of God. I don't have to be held captive by this thought. And you can have victory. Truth can help us win spiritual battles and keep us from being captured in the first place. Pastor Craig Grishel has a quote that I like a lot. He says, your life is a reflection of the thoughts that you think. I like that. Your life is a reflection of the thoughts that you think. Think about your marriage. Think about your level of satisfaction at work. Think about your contentment, your, just your general level of contentment in life. The value of your priorities. And what I mean by that is, You've got priorities, I've got priorities. Not all of them have value. You get that? Like you and I might have some priorities that, that we put in first position or second position, and they're absolutely worthless priorities. That can happen. How about the amount of joy, the amount of peace in your heart? You think about all of these things in our lives, it's all a reflection of the thoughts that we think. And so I'll finish with this thought, this question. Are you satisfied with where your thoughts are leading you in life? They're leading you somewhere. Are you satisfied with where your thoughts are leading you? Let me leave you with this. Go to Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. I'm going to leave you with a thought from a guy in the Old Testament who lived in a corrupt country. He tried to make a difference in the lives of people around him. And the result, everyone hated him. Failure after failure after failure. And he felt the full weight of that failure. He felt the full weight of disappointment. Lamentations chapter 3, look at verse 19. He's very honest about this. He says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. That's pretty brutal, right? I'll never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Doesn't sound like he's having a parade or a picnic, does it? Yet, I still dare to hope. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. You just told us you'll never forget this awful time. You've endured suffering and homelessness, and you, you've endured this bitterness in your life beyond words, and yet you will dare to hope? Where are you going with this? 
God's name is Jeremiah, by the way. Where are you going, Jeremiah? I'm going to dare to hope. When I remember this. So what's that? That's thoughts. When I remember, when I use my mind to remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Did His circumstance change? No, it did not. Did things get easier for, for Jeremiah? No, it did not. And yet, we see this progression in his thoughts where he says, yes, this is not fun. This is not ideal, yet I will choose to hope. I will choose to connect my hope to remembering the faithfulness of God, to remembering that His mercies are new every day. I will choose to remember what God has done for me. He was honest about the things going on in his life, but he had victory over those thoughts, not through self-medicating the pain away, not through demanding that everyone treat him better. Don't you know who I am? I'm a prophet of God. How dare you? It's not what he did. Not through proving everyone wrong. See, I told you so. No, he said, I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. I don't have anything else. But the Lord is faithful. His compassion, His mercy never fails. Therefore, based on what I know about God, my concluding thought, Jeremiah says, I will wait for him. I will choose to trust him and depend on him. If you're not satisfied with where your thoughts are leading you in life, identify the stronghold, name it, and then name the truth that destroys that stronghold from the word of God, and then trust in the power of Jesus Christ to renew your mind. Let him change your thinking. Let him transform your life.